Well, hey, everybody. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Hershey Free Church. I'm excited to uh, jump into the Bible and see what God's Word has for us today. So if you've been here for the last few weeks, we have been looking at the Ten Commandments that come up in the Old Testament, and this is going to be commandment number six. So this is the sixth or seventh sermon in this series. And we're going to look at Exodus 20 and verse 13. As you can see, it's a pretty short verse this time. So if you have a Bible and you're flipping open trying to find it, uh, it's probably quicker to read it right here than it is to open it up and find it. But, of course, feel free to flip there as well. So here's, here's the commandment. This is the, entire, this is the entirety of the sixth commandment in the Old Testament. You shall not murder. In fact, in Hebrew, it's only two words. It's the Hebrew word for no or don't or Never, something like that, and then uh, for, for murder as well. So in Hebrew, it just reads no murder, only two words, very short. Uh, something that you're going to notice is that this is, uh, like I said, mo- much shorter than the other five commandments that we've looked at up to this point. And it's pretty straightforward. The other commandments have had extra words to them. There have been uh, some kind of explanation, uh, like, you know, worship the Lord your God and Him only. And by the way, here's what I mean by that. You know, don't bow to other idols. Don't form other idols. Don't devote yourself. And, you, you know, the other commandments have uh, other disclaimers or here's what happens if you do this. Here's what happens if you don't do this. There's, there's extra material. But this one is it's two words, and that's the extent of it. No murder. Don't murder. Now, I want us to pause for just a second and imagine a world, imagine a civilization, a society in which this commandment has to be spelled out this clearly, okay? Uh, Now, for me personally, uh, I don't recall my mom and dad or my grandparents or anybody actually having to tell me that murder was wrong. That never came up. I mean, you know, sitting around the living room or whatever, we might have had conversations about what prison happens in prison or, you know, something like that. But, but it never came up where my dad had to sit me aside and say, Nick, I just want you to know, murder's wrong, and let me explain why. Like, he, he never had to explain that. It was just kind of part of my DNA. And, and likewise, I've never had to explain this to my kids. Now, we, again, I've, I've had conversations with my kids uh, uh, you know, in different ways about murder. Like they walk in the room with the, when the national news is on and they hear about this case and, Dad, what happened there? Or, uh, you know, I, I heard prison's a bad place. What do you do to go there? And you know, it's, it's come up in conversations naturally. But I've never had to sit down and tell my daughter, I just want you to know that murder is something that is wrong and you can never do that. I've told her not to run in the street and stuff or run with scissors. I've never had to tell her, don't murder. Like it's never, it's, it seems like it's ingrained in them. My, my son has never come to me and, you know, Dad, I think I'm going to take, you know, such and such um, material to school tomorrow and do such and such to my peer. No, son. Actually, that would be called premeditated homicide, and it's illegal, and uh, you could go to juvenile prison for that. Like, this, this, is, this has never come up, and I've, I've never had to go out of my way to explain it to them. Uh, to my knowledge, my teachers have never explained it uh, to me or, or to my kids. And if you're a teacher here listening, uh, maybe you've had a lecture about the difference between manslaughter and first degree and second degree. And maybe you've, you've talked about it in that way. But I would assume if you're a teacher, you've never sat down with your first graders or eighth graders or college students and said, now today we're going to learn that murder is wrong. Like it's never, it's never come up that specifically because it's in our society, in modern uh, you know, 21st century America, it's kind of assumed that this is not a good thing, that this is bad. But what I want us to think about for a second is that when this first came up, these commandments were originally delivered to Israel through Moses. They, would, they were delivered to them in the year somewhere around 1200 B.C. And what I want you to understand, here, here's what I would argue, based on what I've studied about the ancient world, is that this was not necessarily assumed in those days. It's assumed for you. 
It's assumed for me. It was not assumed for their society. In their society, murder was, I'm I'm not going to say it was commonplace, like it happened every day down the street, but people got murdered, and who are you going to call? There's no police. Your village is 60 people. I mean, you got angry with somebody. They stole your property. You were bitter about somebody. You you know, you wanted their house, and so you took their life. You wanted their wife, so you took their life. I mean, this. welcome to the ancient world. The ancient world, especially the people surrounding the nation of Israel, the people in that land around them, known as the Canaanites, these were were barbaric people, based on what we know about them. They were were bloodthirsty people who worshipped bloodthirsty God that told them to do pretty terrible things to other people. And so this was not necessarily a given in their society. And that's why God had to spell this out. Let me just uh, mention a couple of verses here that sort of show this in the Old Testament. So this is from Deuteronomy. On account of the wickedness of these nations. In other words, you're planted here in this land, and in that land there are these other tribes and civilizations known as the Canaanites, okay? Uh, if, you, if you read through Deuteronomy especially, there's all these ites, the Perizzites and the Philistines and the Midianites and all the ites and the Enes, right? On account of these other nations that are surrounding you in this region of the world, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You cannot dwell amongst these people. This, you have to get them out of your land, in other words. Deuteronomy 12, you must not worship the Lord your God in the way that they do. They have their gods, and they worship them in detestable, abominable ways. Don't worship me that way. I am I'm a very different God, is what he tells them. This, and this is repeated several times uh, in various places. For everything that is abhorrent to, to him, to God, everything God hates, they have done when worshiping their gods. In other words, as an act of worship to their gods, the other nations around you, as an act of worship, have done things, uh, have have done terrible things to other people. They even burn their sons and daughters before their gods. It was a it was a human sacrifice. It was a part of what these other nations did in service to their gods. Here's another verse I, I want you to look at. It's uh, from Ezra. He's looking back to when the Israelites first went in the land. He, he writes this. The land that you are entering to possess is a land defiled by the impurities of the local residents. With their abominations, they have filled it from one end to the other with their filthiness. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons. Do not take their daughters in marriage for your sons and so forth. In other words, whatever you do, don't let your daughters grow up and marry these guys, all right? Don't let your, your, your uh, sons grow up and marry these girls. It, you, you do not want to intermix with these other civilizations that worship those pagan gods because practices like murder were common to them. If you were a king, whatever you want to do, you can take life. I mean, th- this, this was the ancient, welcome to the ancient world. The average lifespan of a, of a, 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 lifespan of a female in these days is estimated to be about 30 years old. The average lifespan of a male was about 40 years old. I know you and I joke about when you hit 40 or over the hill, you're getting old. In those days, if you went over 40, you, you were actually old because life did not last long. Life may have been important, but it was not sacred to these people. And so what God is doing here with this commandment, he is elevating the value of human life. He's saying, I know that you realize that life, human life is important. I want you to understand, if you're my people, that human life is sacred. It is, it is sacred, and that is what God is trying to do with this commandment. Again, you and I grew up in a very different world. We, we grew up in, and were raised in an environment, a society, in which people are more important than possessions, or at least we're, we're, we're taught to believe that, right? And we're encouraged to act in that way. We attend churches like this one where we are taught that all men and women are created in the image of God. They have uh, invaluable worth to them just because they are humans. We graduate from schools where we memorize the Declaration of Independence. Here it is. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. 
and they are endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these rights are life. That was not the world that the ancient Israelites grew up in. That was not the surrounding neighbors and the community and, and the land in which they uh, found themselves in when this command came along. So God was elevating the sacredness, the value, the worth of human life for these people with this commandment. Commandment number six, don't murder. That was his commandment to them. Once again, he's telling them people are not just important. People are sacred. Now here's something I want you to do. I want you to take what I just explained to you, that in the ancient world, life was maybe important but not sacred, right? And it could be taken at any moment without anything you can do about it necessarily. I want you to take that concept that God has elevated the value of human life for these Israelites, that, that he has uh, shown them that life is not just important, it is sacred. I want you to take that, just kind of hold on to it and, and put it to the side. And I want us to look at a different text, okay? We're going to fast forward 1,200 years from when the commands were originally given to the time of Jesus. And there's going to be a text in Matthew, it comes up in a couple other Gospels too, where in, on the Sermon on the Mount, he, he talks about this a little further, and he brings back up that sixth commandment. Okay, so I want, us, I want us to hold on to what we just talked about, and I want us to uh, flip ahead here to Matthew 5. This is where Jesus brings us up. Here's what he says in Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. In other words, you've heard this said, you've memorized these commandments. You have been living by, your families have lived by these 10, these are the 10 big commandments. You know this one, you know this. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister, just making sure it's still on the screen, will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. In other words, Jesus is saying, you already know that it is not okay to murder. You already understand the value of human life, that, that murder is wrong. But I want to tell you that the attitudes that lead to murder, that, that is what we need to address in what he is saying here. It reminds me of a story that uh, came up in the news recently. Perhaps you've heard this. Uh, there was this woman uh, nearby who was accused. They were, she was convicted of a felony. And what she had done, essentially, was she had assaulted her husband. Uh, she had picked up some of his guitars and had actually beat him with his own guitars. And so uh, recently her day in court came up. She was standing before the judge, and uh, the judge was you know, looking through the paperwork, and he asked her, first offender? And she said, no, Your Honor, first a Gibson, second offender. If you're a musician, maybe you'll appreciate that. Otherwise, please don't turn off the film just because of my corny uh, dad joke there. But once again, coming back to this text that Jesus is mentioning, he's saying what I want you to address is not just murder, because for Jesus, murder was not just one terrible act, although it is a terrible act. Murder was not just one terrible act. It was a series of terrible acts that led to, eventually, murder, or could lead to murder. You see, before my hands can actually go and do something as terrible as murder, something has already happened in my head. Something has been planned or thought or imagined. or Something has happened in my head that is terrible, that has led to this terrible act with my hands. And before something terrible can happen in my head, something has happened in my heart that has caused something terrible to happen in my head, which has caused something terrible to happen with my hands and with my feet. You see, for Jesus, murder is not just one terrible act. It's a series of terrible acts that culminate with this terrible thing that we call murder, where life is taken from someone in an unjust way. And that is what Jesus wants to address in this command. 
What he is saying here is that if you find yourself angry with someone because of envy or, or jealousy or, or, or hatred for another person, that you are already acting out the attitudes that could lead someone to murder. If you find yourself feeling hatred for another human being that's made in the image of God, you are acting out an attitude towards someone else that could possibly lead to murder. If you find yourself treating someone like dirt, uh, he talks about this in the text, uh, calling someone raka. Uh, raka is, um, it's, it's hard to translate that word. That's why it stays in the original language. It's, it's basically an insult. You, you, you have insulted perhaps gossip against someone else. Uh, if anyone says you fool, that's the Greek word mora. So we, we, could, we get the word moron from that. It was actually kind of a cuss word in those days. So if you get to that point where you know, gossip has happened and insults behind the back and then in front of them, you stand up, maybe even in front of a court to, to, call, to, to, to curse them out and, and that kind of thing. If These are the emotions that happen within us before murder ever occurs. These, these are the things that Jesus wants us to work on. But here, I want us to look at what he says in the next verse here. Uh, sorry, I'm uh, sorry, <laughs> I got mixed up. I want us to back up and see what has led us to this point, okay? Because he says this thing in the command where he says, but I tell you, look at this. You've heard it was said, you know the commandment, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But, but I tell you. You see, when that word but was, was uttered, everyone in the crowd, every, every Jew listening to him in that moment would have gasped. <gasps> Did he just say, but I say? You say, they, they were used to hearing the Ten Commandments rehearsed and, and, and talked about and, and taught from rabbis and so forth, but they were not used to hearing the word, but, after a commandment. You, you, can't, you, you can't change a commandment from Moses' law. Did, 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 did this guy just say, the commandment is do not murder, but I say? Because you, you can't do that. They, they were not used to hearing the word, but However, they were used to hearing a different word here. You know the commandment is you shall not murder. But here, here's the word they were used to hearing here. They were used to hearing the word unless. You shall not murder unless it gets complicated. Th- then, you can, then you can take matters into your own hands. Th- then, then you can take life. You, you shall not murder unless things get complicated. You shall not murder Unless this is an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of deal, then you, you can disregard this commandment because there's a different commandment that justifies that kind of action. You shall not murder unless you're an avenger of blood for someone. Okay, and This was a command in the Old Testament that if someone in your family, if, if their life was taken, then you were able to go after that other person and, and, and take their life in avengement for your loved one's death. This was an actual title in the Old Testament, the avenger of blood. So you may not murder unless it gets complicated, unless this is an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth deal, unless you are an avenger of blood. You may not murder unless, unless this is holy war, unless this is harem, then, then that's different. We, we can still do that. You shall not murder unless you have caught someone in the act of adultery. You shall not murder unless you have exposed a false prophet. You shall not murder unless... That there, were, there was a series of unlesses for all the commandments, right? You shall not murder unless... That's what they were used to hearing, and maybe that's what they were expecting. However, Jesus uses a different word. He says, but... I'm going to change this for you. But, but I say... He, he points to his own authority to change the Old Testament law. And the gasps were heard from the whole crowd. <gasps> Did he just say, but... 
He's gonna, you can't change the command. This is a follow-up to what he said just four verses earlier. This is where I slipped up and got ahead of myself. This is what he said just, just, just moments before getting into this commandment about, about murder. He says this in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He's talking about not only the Ten Commandments, but the 613 commandments. Some rabbi somewhere counted them all up. 613 commandments. I have not come to abolish them. I have, come, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them is what he says. So what on earth does that mean? What he's saying is that if you're going to follow me as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, you are no longer under the Ten Commandments or the 613 Commandments. Now what I just said, it's, it's not new, right? George has said this, I don't even know how many times in the last few weeks, that we are no longer under any obligation to follow the Ten Commandments. He says, I have not come to abolish the Ten Commandments, but what I'm trying to do, Jesus says, is to fulfill them. Okay, that's the Greek word play rao. I have come to play rao. That means to, to fulfill, to accomplish, to, to bring to a designated end, to, to, to complete. I have come to play rao, to fulfill the Old Testament commands. Again, it doesn't mean that he's abolishing them and that we shouldn't read or study the Old Testament. We're reading and studying the Old Testament today, right? He doesn't mean that we abolish them. Do we have any students watching this, this uh, recording right now? If, if you're a student, if you had a homework, think about your last homework assignment. Once you finished your homework assignment, you didn't ball it up and abolish it, right? You, you turned it in and it, was, it served its purpose and it's, it's done. Do we have any contractors working? Maybe think about your last job site that you went to. You built a deck, you built a ramp, whatever. I mean, think about when you, when you hammered the last nail in, when you stroked the last paintbrush of, of primer or, you know, whatever it is. When, when, you finished, when you finished the project, you didn't step back and go, all right, trying to abolish this and break it all down. No, no, you, you, you walk away and it's, it's play rao. It's, it's play rao. It's, it's complete. It's fulfilled. It's, it's come to a designated end, and I can move on to something else. And Jesus is saying that I am coming to establish something very different. And so there's no obligation for anyone to follow me that has to dot their I's and cross their T's and follow the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. If you're a Christian, you are not under any obligation to follow the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, instead, I'm giving you two commandments, which is very helpful because many of us don't even... I haven't even memorized the Ten Commandments, much less the 613. But you know the two, right? Say them with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That those, those are the commandments that we as Christians follow. There was a book where uh, Andy Stanley wrote a book uh, back in 2018 that I highly recommend called Irresistible. Here's a quote where he, he talks about this uh, and what I just said. But uh, it's from this book, page 108. These, th- these two commandments that I just told you about, they are far less complicated. There's no unlesses. You don't have to flip through and what do I do in this? Nope, it's far less complicated. Love God, love your neighbor. That's, that's very uncomplicated, but far more demanding. Why? Because there are no loopholes in the love that Jesus requires. I don't, I don't have any unlesses. Love God, love your neighbor. And that's That's it, far less complicated, but far more demanding. And so what Jesus is doing is just like God the Father elevated the sacredness of life for those Israelites in 1200 B.C., Jesus is elevating the value and the sacredness of life for the people listening to him who who knew the Sixth Commandment very well. And he's saying not only should you not murder, but if you're going to love your neighbor well, you cannot abuse life, cannot demoralize life, cannot insult life, you cannot hate human life. You shall not 
have those conversations and actions that happen over and over in your head for someone that, that man, they take you off. Th- those are the kind of things that Jesus wants to deal with that take place in the heart. And then he gives us a therefore. So right after saying, you know, but, but I say, but I say, right after that, Jesus says, therefore. In other words, here's an example of what I mean. In, ca- in case you're wondering, how do I actually live this out? Here's, here's kind of what I'm saying. Therefore, if you were offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come back and offer your gift. Now, did you, did you actually did you process what was just read there? Let, 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 me, let me start again because I want to make sure we have processed what Jesus says here. He says, therefore, here's an, here, here's an example of what I mean by re, reworking this sixth commandment. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and, and stop, stop right there. And I want you to ask, what, what, are you thi- what picture, what mental picture comes to your mind there? Because this is what comes to my mind. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a middle-class American from the 21st century. I'm a, I'm a Westerner. So here's what happens when I read about offering your gift at the altar. I'm, I'm picturing this, this middle-class family in the Western world waking up on Sunday at their own leisure, eating some bacon, getting in their Toyota Sienna, and driving six miles to a church building. And they sit down, they listen to some songs and stuff. They go and they, they walk up to some altar and, and present an offering. They throw a 20 in the plate or something, and then they walk out and go home. And that's, like, that's what I picture. And if you picture that, then you are not reading this as if you were in the crowd when Jesus says this 2,000 years ago. Because in the crowd of Jews listening to him, here, here's, I, here's what they are picturing in their mind. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, stop. What they are picturing is, oh, he's talking about that season in which we have to travel a two- or three-day journey to Jerusalem to go to the temple. He's talking about that season where we have to work and labor to get our fields and our animals and our crops and our houses and our property uh, guarded and and protected and and, uh, everything is settled and everything is harvested as as far as it can and all the work's done. We have to find someone to watch our farm while while we are away and and, and we we have to pack up all of our food to eat while we are on this journey. We have to make sure our animals are in because we're taking some of our animals with us, some of them to eat along the way, some of them to to sacrifice once we finally get to the temple. We have to get the kids ready, get all of our clothes. We have to make this massive preparation, have money on hand in case we need to stay somewhere overnight or, or whatever. We have to take this like two or three day journey all the way to Jerusalem. We don't have a minivan, right? And we have to do this. And we have to finally get into this busy city where all these other families are doing the exact same thing. And so we come into the city and, and we find our lodging and, and we have our animals prepared. And then it's time to get up and we go to the temple, right? And then finally, we, we shuffle through the crowds. We're able to make it into the outer court of the temple and, and we have to wait in line before all the other families. And, and then we finally get up to the time where the priest calls us forward. And then we walk up to the altar. A representative from the family walks up to the altar. And this is where I come up with one of our lambs. And, and this is the lamb that we're going to sacrifice on behalf of the sins that our family has committed, right? And there's going to, the priest finally comes. It's finally our time. The priest comes up and he does the rituals. He says the thing. He does the prayers. He, he reaches out and I'm about to hand him the leash. I am exhausted. My family's exhausted. There's been three days of journey. We've spent a ton of money. I mean, this was, had been a big deal. And we're finally at the altar. And I'm handing over the leash of, of my sheep to the priest so that he can make a burnt offering. And, and there, right then, right then, I remember Andrew. As I'm handing it over, 
Andrew comes to mind. I've been angry at Andrew. Andrew ticks me off. Man, this guy. I, I, I wouldn't say I hate him, but it's pretty close. If I told you about the things this guy has said to me, the things this guy has done to me, if I, if I, if I could just show you this guy's picture, you would know, oh, he looks like a villain from some Avengers movie, right? I mean, if I could, man, the, the thoughts that I've had about Andrew, the things that I've, the conversations I've had with Andrew in my head, the, the things that I have said about him in front of others when he's not present, the gossiping, if, oh, Andrew, Andrew comes to mind. I don't know why he came to mind now, but, but there, right in this moment, he came to mind. This is what Jesus says that you were to do. When he comes to, when Andrew comes to mind, or Andrea, if you want to do the sister, something against you, leave. In other words, pull the leash back, tie up your animal, and leave. I know the priest is going to be really confused and probably pretty angry because he's waiting on you and there's a line of other families trying to come up and give their offering and you're just walking away and you're going to leave and you're going to walk past your wife and your wife's going to look at you like, excuse me, where are you going? I got to watch these kids and these animals and I got to, I got to make excuses for the other families and try to tell the priest what's going on. Where are you going? Walk past her. Walk past your kids. Your kids are going to look up and go, man, dad has to really use the bathroom, I guess. I don't know where. You're going to walk past all these families who are thinking, excuse me, I've been in line for hours. You're just going to walk. You're going to walk past all those people, and you're going to go and find Andrew. After all this, you're going to tie your animal up and leave. You leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go reconcile with Andrew or Andrea, and then, and then once you've done that, then you're going to come back and tuck your tail and lower your head, and you're going to walk past those families who are thinking, what have you been doing? You're going to walk past your kids. You're going to walk past your animals who have made a mess of, I won't even say, everywhere. Now, you've got to clean this stuff. You're going to walk past your wife who's not going to talk to you for a few weeks, right? You're going to finally get back to the altar and hand over your sacrifice to the priest because first, you've got to handle the mess in your heart against your brother or sister before you can honestly worship the Lord your God. That, that's the extent of what Jesus makes of the sixth commandment to make it right with others before you worship. In fact, as I was reading this, I came across this 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 text from the Didache. Okay, the Didache that is uh, that is a, a very old document. It's kind of like a church manual. It's it's written for churches on how to conduct worship, and and it gives us a clue as to how the early churches worshipped and took communion and preached and and these kind of things. And so it gives instructions on how a church should order itself in the first century world. It's a very old document, and here here's what it says in the Didache fourteen one and two, and on the Lord's own day Sunday. Gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanks. First, confessing your transgressions. This is something that they did in the early church, that your sacrifice may be pure. And look at this. And let no man, sorry, the glare is tearing it up, so I'm going to look over here. And let no man, having a dispute with his fellow, join your assembly until they have been reconciled. In other words, in the early church, it was a practice that you can't come to worship until you've made it right with him or her. That was the prerequisite. I mean, picture this. We have signs up on the front door that say, you know, 9 a.m., mask required. Imagine if there was a sign next to it that said, oh, by the way, you are not allowed to enter until you have made things right. I mean, I don't know if we'd have anybody here on a Sunday, right? <laughs> I, I mean, personally, I'd be about an hour late before I had to preach because I got to call up all these people and, you know, apologize or forgive them or, or whatever. I mean, just imagine a world in which we actually practice this. 
in which the attitudes in our heart that, that, that would lead someone to murder, the attitudes, the same attitudes that they have are the ones that we have sometimes of anger and jealousy and ember and, and, and strife and, and, and revenge and hatred. These are the kind of things that Jesus wants to deal with inside of us. So Jesus is elevating the value of human life. And it's not just about do no harm. It's not about avoiding. It's not about do no harm. It's about now go do what's right. Don't just, don't just not murder. You need to leave your sacrifice at the altar and go fix it and then come. I mean, that's the extent. It's not about do no harm. It's not a passive commandment anymore. Do no harm. It's an active commandment of now go and do what's right. He's saying this is not about avoiding your enemy. This is about advancing that relationship. It's not about doing no harm. It's about doing some healing. It's not about keeping the peace. It's about being a peacemaker and making peace. It's not about just forgetting and get it out of my head. It's about forgiving. It's not about do what's do no harm. It's not passive. It's active. It's do what is right at this point. And that is how Jesus elevates the value of human life. Uh, one quick thing here. I want you to think back to some recent interactions that you've had. And, to th- and, and I, I don't know what the right answer for you is. I, I, I can't tell you what the right response or the right thing is for you to do because you probably have complicated situations that you are dealing with or someone has wronged you or misaligned you or, or spoken ill of you or not given you what you deserved or, or I, I don't know what the right answer is. But I do know this, that Jesus says that the command is not about do no harm. It's about what is the right thing to do in this moment so that all the, all the, all the attitudes and emotions that lead to murder, how, that, how can I deal with those with this person right now? I like what uh, John Maxwell says in one of his books. He says, the entire population of the world, with one exception, is composed of others. Something good to keep in mind. Here's an example of uh, something I want to show you. This, just uh, one last thing. There's something called the Human Library, okay? Um, now, this organization is, uh, they, I believe they are elevating the sacredness of, of human life in a special way. They're called the Human Library. Not a Christian organization. I don't necessarily endorse them. I haven't been to one of their events, but, but I love the way in which they are trying to fight against hatred in the world, okay? So here's some information from their, li- from their website. The Human Library is a not-for-profit learning platform that has hosted personal conversations designed to challenge stigma and stereotypes, and it began in the year 2000. All of our human books are volunteers with personal experience. The Human Library is a place where difficult questions are expected, appreciated, and answered. So in other words, this is a library that has no books. It's composed of people. And whenever they have an event, you can go and you can actually reserve. You can actually uh, check, out, check out, so to say, a book for 30 minutes. And the book is a person. You are reserving a person to sit down with for 30, for 30 minutes and talk to them and, and learn more about them and their situation. And so here's some of the titles that you can expect to see if you were to go to this human library. Uh, the Unseen Disability, a homeschooler, a mother of a transgender daughter, a refugee, a father of a son with Down syndrome, a transracial adoptee, a PTSD victim, someone who is lonely, Someone who was formerly incarcerated. I mean, you can go to their website, and these are some of the titles that you can check out. You can sit down with someone and hear their story for about 30 minutes. Now, once again, it's not an endorsement of this, but there's the part of me that goes, man, I'm kind of embarrassed that just some random guy from Europe started this thing, and it wasn't started by some Christian church. <laughs> you know, I, I, wish I, I wish I could say the church started this thing so that we could break down hatred in our world. Uh, I love their tagline as well. It says, don't judge a book by its cover the human library, and then their tagline is unjudge someone. That's just an example of kind of what we're talking about. 
uh, today. So once again, I just want to bring us back to this. People are not just important. People are sacred. And when Jesus thinks about the, ten, ten, uh, the sixth commandment, he doesn't just say, do no harm. It's a passive commandment. Don't murder. He says, no, this, this is an active commandment now of do what you can to make things right with others. Don't merely avoid, but value your fellow man. And so, God our Father, would you grant us the humility and love that is required to practice what we have heard today. Amen. Well, with that said, I want to remind you of what I tell you every time that we do this, that church is not over and you are not being dismissed. Instead, Hershey Free Church, you are being sent. You are being sent to see human life not just as important, but as sacred. You are being sent to not only do no harm, but to do what is right. So Hershey Free, as you think about this commandment this week, you are not dismissed, you are sent. Thank you.